Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is November 21st, and we were in Acts chapter 10 this morning looking at the first 48 verses of, or the, or the really the whole chapter there of, of Acts 10, where Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house. He has this vision. We're introduced to a new character named Cornelius, who also is praying and has a vision. And, uh, and God, what we see is that God moves in in really a significant way to set up a truth that's been true the entire time, uh, but God is drawing a highlighter over it uh, for the early church. Uh, the truth is that this is that God is for all people and that God's rescue is for all people, that he wants to draw all who are apart from him into his family. That's God's, that's God's greatest desire, that we are known in his family and we know God and enjoy God. So here this morning, we've got your questions. We've got some really good questions this morning, and I'm joined by uh, Pastor Joseph, uh, Joseph Scarfone, Pastor of Discipleship. Greetings. Good to see you. Yeah, so if you haven't met Joseph, uh, he's, Joseph, you guys came on staff. You, uh, you and your family came here end of August. That's right. Yep, and so just real quick again, what do you, what do, you do here at Christ Community? I am the pastor of discipleship here, and I explain that as my responsibility is the glue that kind of holds all the ministries together, whether it's children's ministry, student ministry, the small groups, connect groups, adult fellowships. I'm really the, the conduit for connecting people in the church. Awesome. Awesome. And man, you're doing, you're doing such a great job just hitting the ground running here. Love your family and all six of your kids. Yes. Yeah. And so we had a great moment this morning in service with our family dedication. We sure did. It was special. That was super cool. Yeah. To watch families who just didn't have newborns. That's right. But had one family had a a 15 year old. Yes. Right. And, and family dedication is this moment about families. Well, well, Joseph, why don't you describe what family dedication was about? Sure. Family dedication is a family coming before the church and before the Lord saying that we are dedicating ourselves to to you, Lord. We want to help our children know you, and we want to make a commitment before the church. And it really is an opportunity for the church to see families who are committed, but also for the church to respond and help support. It's really this partnership between the family and the church and making disciples of the next generation and that's what this opportunity was today. Yeah, that is awesome. It was it was so cool to see families in both of our services standing and and planting their flag uh, on that on that truth that God's right. going to be central to their yes, family. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it was awesome to be able to stand with those families yes. in that. Well, speaking of family, we we are again, we're in this passage where God has drawn his highlighter over the truth that he is for all people and wants to bring all people into his family. Uh, in that, he gives Peter this unique vision That's right. of unclean animals. He tells Peter to kill and eat. And Peter, who has kept Jewish dietary laws, says, no, 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 I've never broken the rules. Right. Uh, even though I'm, I'm dreadfully hungry right now, uh, I'm not going to take that bacon cheeseburger from the sky and snack on it. Right? I would have. You would have. I, I would have. Uh, but we're not under the law. That's we're right. under grace here. Thank you, uh, Jesus. Covenant of Jesus and Jesus' blood. Well, we got a question in about, uh, about dietary, Jewish dietary laws. I made the point in a sermon. I said that, that Peter's vision wasn't about food. It was about people. Right. And so if Peter's vision isn't about food but about people, well, why don't we have to keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament today? Sure. Yeah. What do you think, Joseph? Part of it is that we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. That's part of what Jesus came to do is he fulfilled the law so that we don't have to worry about that. 
but we know that grace gives us a greater opportunity to know him and that it's not about rules. It's all about relationship. So for us, it's that relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I agree with that. I think even Jesus answered this a little bit and he, he, he foreshadowed at that in Matthew chapter 22, he's asked the question, uh, a, a Pharisee, one who is well acquainted with the, with the law comes to him and says, teacher, it's a respectful question. Right. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Right. Because in Jewish society and Jewish life, uh, keeping the commandments, that's equated with the love of God. Right. And so Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment, which is a typical rabbinic conversation. Rabbis yes. would have this over and over and in the, in the, in the Midrash. And um, uh, we, we see this debate over and over again, right. which the Midrash is Jewish uh, wisdom literature sure. that's interpreting the scriptures. But um, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and the second is like it. So Jesus gives the command and an application. That's right. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you yes. love God? Or what's the proof of you loving God? Well, it's the way you treat other people. Yes. And and so I think even there, Jesus is highlighting, and some of the, the laws, the 633 laws in the Old Testament that were expanded off of the original 10, Yes. They, they some of them were there for practical reasons, but they were never the heart. Right. right. It, it was never the purpose. Right. And, and so dietary laws. Yeah. I mean, you get shellfish in the Middle East and without refrigeration, somebody's going to get sick. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Uh, today we eat pork and we know our pork is safe because of modern, modern farming. Right. But, but pork for a long time, their parasites were in pork yeah. and, uh, uh, Trichia, trichiniasis, I think, is what was is actually typically in pork. That sounds right. Yeah, and, and it'll get you really sick. So, so some of the diet, some of the laws, especially the dietary laws, were just very practical yeah. for God's people. And, and so, I think again, Jesus answers it. Joseph, as you said, we are under grace uh, and not the law. And and these dietary laws were, and many of the laws, it was never the heart of of the worship of God. Right. Um, they, they got distorted, and and Jesus Jesus doesn't say, hey, no. You got to keep got to keep kosher in order for God to love you. Right. Um, in fact, that's the very opposite of what Paul says in Galatians. That's right. You know, Galatians chapter two there that we cannot earn God's favor. Um, so, so yeah. So I think why do we not have to f- keep dietary laws? Well, because we've tasted bacon and we realize how good it is. God is gracious. God is gracious. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Amen. Well, on that note, there was a question about about Simon the Tanner, a- and so if a tanner. Uh, is involved really is probably more of an idea like a taxidermist is right. the modern equivalent here that we would understand uh, that is involving dead animals. Is Peter, is he at someone's house who is unclean, right? right. Is he engaged there with someone who's unclean? Um, I, th- I think you kind of answer, you have to answer yes. I, th- I think he is. And this is the prelude to going into this vision with Cornelius. Mm-hmm. If you look at what the the history of what a tanner does, there's a high likelihood that this person probably wasn't a kosher tanner, if yeah. those exist. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think this is probably the, the prelude. It's building up to this uh, acceptance of all people and really what we see in chapter 10 with Cornelius. Yeah, I think I just I think you're right. Luke includes him at the end of <laughs> at the end of chapter nine. Right. And then we see his name appear again in chapter 10 several times. Uh, he's drawing a note to us that Peter is at this tannery and he's involved that Simon the Tanner works with dead animals right. and most likely would have been unclean. 
I think so. Right. Um, and so, but Peter's presence there, which is really unique on the other side, is that Peter in the vision says, I've never broken the, these cleanliness laws. Right. So there's something where we, I think, as you said, it's, it's a high likelihood that he is unclean, but there's also a probability where we have to go, we don't know. Sure. Because Luke doesn't give us any of those details, and we don't know any of those details from extra biblical sources. On the other side of it, we have the Apostle Paul, who is a, we know he's a tent maker. Yeah. But we also know that he kept, he kept to Jewish cleanliness laws. And in the first century, most tents were made out of pig hide. Right. But Paul and his family make tents out of sheep's hide, which are a higher quality. And they're, they have a department of defense contract with oh, the yeah, Roman army. Right. right? So, so we also have this other side of it where we go, well, there could have been. Right. But I think, like you said, the likelihood here is that Simon the Tanner is probably someone who's engaged in an unclean trade. Right. And what Luke is doing is Luke is drawing highlight points for us to realize that God is about to do something really significant and really unique in this vision. Yeah. That, and I also think that the way that the Jewish people were manipulating the law at this time Mm. really allows us to think, you know, maybe Peter really believed that he wasn't doing anything that was wrong or there were enough other rules in place that he wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know, they had distances and, yeah. you know, maybe he was in another room. There are a lot of ways to say, hey, you know what? He didn't, he didn't break the law, but he was with someone that was unclean. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, there, you know, there's just so much to this situation that Luke doesn't explicitly tell right. us. Uh, but we, we know from maybe some other extra biblical sources that, like you said, those distances and all those things were there. Um, but like you said, I think. It's God showing up and saying, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you in a dramatic way of a truth that's always been true. That's right. Right? Yeah. Very good. Well, our, this next question talks about how we raise kids. And, and it says this, does the idea of preference, and we talked about sins of preference right. um, in this sermon, does the idea of preference still hold sway when we consider those who choose to live in direct opposition to the Bible? Said another way, how do you separate sins from sinners? Uh, where does this go when you are trying to raise children? So how do we how do we walk? I think what this question is really asking: How do we walk in grace and truth? Yeah, yeah, Joseph. What do you, what do you think? I think one of the most important things to understand is that sin is equal, no matter what that flavor of sin is. It's all yeah. equal in God's eyes, yeah. and we sometimes have a hierarchy that we create. Yeah. So then we will say that someone is more sinful or less sinful depending on that sin, and that's not something that God views that way. Yeah. So. What we really need to do is to adopt this idea of impartiality. Sin is sin, and, it, and it's equal. And then the same thing with with our children, making sure that we're not showing impartiality with them yeah. and the way that they are. Uh, someone who has six children, there are moments where you want to <laughs> uh, prefer one over another, uh-huh, especially uh-huh. the one that's being joyful and wonderful yep. and obedient. Yep. And you want to show impartiality. You want to yep. give extra blessing and reward. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the right thing to do. No, it's not. I think even the Old Testament, let's just rewind to the first, you know, from chapter 12 on, Abraham's family. Right. What is the one sin that we see plague his family line over and over again? Preference. Preference. Yeah. Partiality. Right. Right? And, and, and whether it's dad had a favorite wife, that's yeah. a problem. That's not good. Dad had a favorite kid. That's a problem. Esau. Mom had a favorite kid. Yeah. That's a problem. Not good. Not it's not good. And so, I think that how do we walk in grace and truth? Well, we've said it in our first John series over the summer. We said it this way: is that is that 
grace means nothing without truth. Yes. If there's no truth behind grace, if there's no standard of accountability, grace is it's non-existent, right? right? Because because grace is not getting something that I deserve. That's right. So I've broken a rule, and grace is that I don't I don't receive the punishment for that. Yes. Right. And so, so it only makes sense. Grace only is something that exists if there's actually a standard to be held accountable That's to. Right. So grace needs truth, but truth is only palatable with grace. That's right. Right. And I think we, we all know that we all understand that. So um, what we don't want to do is we don't want to be guilty of only giving grace to those that we prefer. Right. Right. And we create these arbitrary standards that we are now dishing out grace and forgiveness and mercy and love and presence to those that we prefer. And Joseph, that's literally what you were just saying. Like when we raise our kids, there are times that I prefer to be around one of my children than the others. That's right. But if I, if I continue to only treat them with, with preference, well, look at Joseph in the old Testament. It's going to create all kinds of problems. Yeah. It's going to create this squabble within the family and it's going to show favoritism. And then it's also going to, uh, diminish grace. It's yeah. going to diminish love because there won't be a universal standard for everyone. Yeah. And I think as a dad, right, part of our calling as dads uh, is that we are to live in a way that reflects our heavenly father's Amen. love for us and for That's our right. kids. And so when my kids look at me, if I'm always engaged in these sins of preference, right, mm. I'm preferentially giving grace to my one child over the other or whatever it is, they're going to go, and when I say, no, you have a father in heaven that loves you, and they go, well, I don't have a father on earth that treats me impartially. That's right, yeah. You know, they're going to have a distorted view of who God is because right. of that. Now, we're not perfect, and God sovereignly and, 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 and mercifully and graciously sure. intervenes because none of us are perfect dads, but that's a, that's a beautiful responsibility that we have there. That's right. I think I have the, a mantra in my mind from James 3 that just says, show no impartiality, just over and yeah. over again with my kids, just making sure that I am being equal with them in my love and my time and my presence. Yeah, and also equal in our discipline. Yes. I think that's a, a, such a key thing is that, that our Father in Heaven disciplines us because He loves us. That's right. If he didn't love us, he would just be our cosmic judge and would squash us. Right. God has that right. Yes. He can do that. Yes. But he chooses not to. He chastens us because he loves us. Yeah. That's John right. 15, he prunes us to form us into yeah. the image of his son. That's right. Um, so, so I think as we think of those things of preference, we've got so many, so many, and I think, I think why we have so many pictures of this in the Bible is because it is, it is a root sin that we keep coming back to. Well, I think whenever you have your own personality, you're going to find other people that you connect with more. So it's just easy to come back to that yeah. without, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think we can't separate the sin from the sinner. I think God, when he looks at us, he sees all of us, and that right. includes all of our brokenness, and yet he still loves us. In fact, that, that reality is a gift of grace. Amen. That God sees every part of us. Uh, the theologian Thomas Merton has said, that in God's merciful grace, he doesn't reveal all the brokenness of our heart to us all at once. Yes. Yet he sees all of that. He sees the very parts of me that I'm not even consciously aware of yet right. that are, are dark and broken and flawed and just awful. And yet he still loves me. And I'm so grateful it's not all at once. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we, if God doesn't separate the sin from the sinner, I think we, as we take people in and we look at people, we go, nope, I see it. I, that doesn't, my presence doesn't mean I affirm every part of you or, yeah. or um, give, give permission to every part of what you're sure. doing, but I still love you. And that in and of itself is a gift of grace that I, I'm not called to withhold from anyone by preference. Right. Yeah. Well, kind of building into, into that idea, Jesus, this question here goes, Jesus said the sick, the sick, it's the sick who need the doctors. Uh, how does that teach us to spread the gospel today? Should we find the sick and spread the gospel more than just trying to give the gospel to whomever we encounter? What do you think, Joseph? I think the answer is yes and yes. So <laughs> yes. Uh, everyone is sick. We yeah. need to be aware that everyone has a, a condition. They have a sin problem and the remedy is the gospel. Yeah. And there are none without that condition. So yeah. we need to, to share that, that message with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesus operates on that perspective yes. that all need him. Right. I think again, in Mark chapter two, when he's with Levi's friends at the barbecue, yes, those who are with him are sick and yes. need the gospel, but the religious leaders who are also there and confronting, I think Jesus statement is a little tongue in cheek. Yeah. It's a little sarcastic, a little ironic. He's referring, he's referring to everybody here, but he's especially applying it to the guys who think that they're not sick. They had a different kind of sickness. They had a different kind of sickness. Right. They were religiously lost. That's right. And so I think the other thing that we think here, so the answer is yes and yes. We need to be spreading the gospel everywhere because yes. everyone's sick. That's right. And we also need to be attentive to going, well, who is God leading me to that will be receptive to the gospel at this moment? Right. Who's right. in your sphere of influence? Who's yeah. around you? What kind of divine appointments has God provided? Yeah. Who, who in your world right now can you share the love of Christ with through the gospel? Yeah, yeah. And, and what do we see here in the passage today is we see the Spirit leads Peter to Cornelius. Yes. And in a dramatic way, but we also believe that God intervenes in our day and leads us to different people. Absolutely. And so as, as we're able um, and, and we're present to people, we need to trust that God is going to be working in gospel, gospel-centered ways. That's right. Yeah. That yeah. means leaving a little margin in your life so that you can talk to people for yes. a couple minutes. Yes. Margin is, I think that's good, right? I think that's a spiritual act of discipline is margin. Yes. To say that I, I'm going to create some margin in my life and I'm not just rushing from thing to thing to thing to thing and I can't be present to anybody in that. Yeah. Well, if God is going to orchestrate our day and he's going to provide opportunities for us, shouldn't we respond and shouldn't we leave enough time for that response? Yeah, I think we should. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, here's our last question. And it's a, it, it, all of these questions kind of build into this direction as we talk about preference and talking about loving people and talking about grace. The question comes in, why does it seem many Christians seem to condemn the LGBTQ community? If we are called to love all, why is there such separation? I, I think, you know, Joseph, we'll hear from you in a second, but I think what often is happening in our culture is that we have such a redefinition of love. That's right. And, and what we equate to love culturally is really of permissiveness or affirmation. So again, we looked at Mark, or we, we alluded to Mark chapter 2 this morning where Jesus is at this barbecue with tax collectors and sinners, and his presence provides them personhood right. because the Jewish society, the Jewish religious leaders dehumanized them. Mm. They made them other, less valuable right. uh, than, than, than themselves because they weren't clean, they didn't keep the laws, all of this, all this kind of stuff. So Jesus' presence provides them personhood, but in the eyes of the religious leaders, Jesus' presence also affirmed their non-law-conforming lifestyles. We would say Jesus' presence affirmed their sinfulness. But if John chapter 1, verse 14 is true, 
that Jesus comes in grace and truth, we know that he doesn't affirm our sinfulness. That's right. And so Jesus loves them, loves this group, and he's willing to be present to them, but his presence does not affirm their sinfulness. And so if love has to require affirmation, well, then, then God's not capable of loving us because God does not affirm ever our sinfulness. Right. Right. So, um, so I think it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard, uh, when we, when we try to walk in grace and truth, what, what do you think as you hear that question? Yeah, I think kind of the same thing with the redefinition of love. We want to take a broken standard with love and apply it our own way to things that are sinful. So you're redefining sin, you're redefining being made in the image and likeness of God, and you're trying to fix it with a broken definition of love, and all of it ends up just further broken. Yeah, yeah. So, So to me, it's going back to what the scripture says, understanding it's God who has defined everything going back to his definitions and using his standard for yeah. what love is. Yeah. And whenever we truly love people, we're going to understand that those who are in sexual sin, no matter what kind it is, is going to be the same as any other sin. And yeah. we shouldn't give it a hierarchy. We should yeah. give it this blanket that they're in sin. They need the love of God. They need the gospel. Yeah. just like every other person. Yeah. It's, it's the great equalizer. It really is. Yeah. The gospel is the great equalizer. And I think the thing that we do that's that that is that is really unfortunate. Like you said, we rank sins or yeah. give sins pri- different priority. Jesus talks about those who lead children away that they'd be better to tie a millstone around yes. their neck. God has God has a uh, a special part in His heart for the widow, for the orphan, for the yes. for those that are innocent. Yes, and, and we need to be very careful about that. But but in 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 God's eyes, sin is sin. Yes. Sin is brokenness and sexual sin whatever form or expression it is, right. is still sexual sin. Yes. And I think in the church we do two things that are wrong. I think we, we, we operate subconsciously as if straight people, cis people, aren't in sexual sin. Right. Everyone has sexual brokenness in them. Yes. All of us have sexual desires that do not conform to God's standard. Absolutely. All of us are to be called out of those sexual desires that do not conform to God's standard. We and the church are, can be guilty of seemingly to overemphasize which sexual sin is really sexual sin. Right. When in God's eyes, it all is. Every single bit of it. Every yes. single bit of it. Often when I do marriage counseling with couples, when, I talk, when we talk about sexual intimacy, I talk about, you know, sex is a gift from God. Sex is a pleasurable thing. Yes. But its primary purpose is not pleasure. Right. Its primary purpose is, is to draw us, is to draw a husband and a wife uh, in, in knitted fellowship, yes. in knitted unity, absolutely, in a bond that is un, it becomes unbreakable of intimacy. Um, but healthy sexuality, in the scope of the biblical reality, is Ephesians chapter five and First Corinthians chapter six. It requires mutual submission to that, one another. That's right. Right. It's not about my highest pleasure because honestly, my highest pleasure and my highest sexual desires are most likely going to be non-biblically affirmed. Right. They are sinful. Yes. And so God doesn't give us just a, a, a carte blanche to go, hey, whatever, right. if you're straight or cis. It's actually the very opposite of that. Yes. And I think we need, to, we need to make sure that we're better in the church of, of painting that full picture. But I think the other thing is, and I know you've said this, is that we, we, what we end up doing is we, make, we prioritize things in the wrong order. That's right. And so we want to say, hey, clean up your life first. 
Yes. You're struggling with these issues. Clean them up first, and then you can come to Jesus. That's so backwards. Right? We preach, right. we, we inadvertently preach a gospel of works, but right. that's not the case, you know? And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, Joseph, how do you, how do you, how do you in your life, how are you present to people uh, who are living in non-law conforming lifestyles, openly sinful lifestyles? How are you present to them in grace and truth? I think one of the things that has really helped me with that is understanding this verse from Romans that says that they are condemned already. Yeah. So I'm coming to bring grace and love. I don't have to condemn them. They're already condemned. Yeah. And I can just come and provide relationship with them. Yeah. And I can love them where they're at. And it's my hope to introduce them to Jesus, who is the greatest power in the universe, where they can come to Jesus and then experience transformation. Yeah. And that's my hope. Yeah. I, I think you're right, right? Apart from Jesus, we we are stuck in a Romans one mindset. Yes. Romans one says we are we are uh condemned, we are confined, we are in chains and bondage to our fleshly desires. Right. And so we're apart from Jesus, apart from the light of the gospel, we are all, all of us, we're we are we are stuck in a Romans one mindset. We're gonna yes. pursue the desires of the flesh. And so we can we can draw near to people, and really, is our greatest need is not our gender, no. it's not our sexuality, it's not our political allegiances, it's not our the country that we live in, it's not whatever issue that we like to accelerate to the top mm-hmm. today. It is that we hear and respond to the gospel. Yes, that's why Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation yeah. for everyone who believes." For everyone, everyone, yeah. So. I think as Christians, we can become better and we can grow in being able to be in loving presence yes. and realizing that my loving presence does not affirm sinful lifestyle. No, not right? at all. And, and also going, if I'm not present, how are they going to hear the gospel? Yes. Because, uh, because we want them to hear the gospel. And frankly, we are all going to wrestle with shades of sin until we are in the next life. That's right. We're all going to wrestle with it. So no one is going to come perfectly into the next life. Paul says at 1 Corinthians 13, we see now dimly, mm-hmm. right? But when perfection comes, when we yeah. are in Jesus' presence, we'll see perfectly. Yes. So we, we, we hold that great grace, and yet we hold to truth because you can't have grace without truth. That's right. And truth is not palatable without grace. Amen. Amen to that. Well, Joseph, thanks for joining me here today and just chewing on these. Church, thanks for these great questions. We yes, love to make... You the scripture a dialogue we want to talk through these things because we believe god's word is powerful and changes our hearts and our minds and our lives as it changes us inwardly next week we're going to start our advent series that's exciting yeah as we look towards christmas and remember that jesus is the light of the world that came into the darkness and true church here's the great truth the darkness could not overcome him amen that's great truth for us we'll see you next week as we as we chat through that we'll see you